Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. We're delighted to bring you another episode in our C-Suite series, a collection of interviews covering some of the biggest HR and business topics with some of the top leaders in the world of work. In the latest installment of this series, we're discussing culture, the success story of an Irish business, the topic of organisational architecting, and much more with one of the most influential HR leaders here in Ireland, the Chief People Officer at Teamwork, Jenny Brown. Thanks for joining us, Jenny. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. It's lovely to be on this podcast. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Brilliant. Thanks for joining us. And this week, we're also joined by our very own Liam Barton, Senior HR Consultant here at Inside HR. How are you, Liam? Very good. Oh, nice to be here also. Brilliant stuff. So let's jump right in. So I suppose on this kind of C-suite series where we're talking to people, leaders and, and, and top HR people, Jenny, we've been kicking off by, I suppose, asking people to reflect on the past couple of years, challenges, mm. opportunities and so on. Um, could we get a couple of your reflections? And I know I've seen you use this term before. It was a real kind of time of uncertainty, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I was just thinking about this. You know, we talk about ADBC, but we'll it'll just become, you know, ACBC as we go forward, you know, before COVID, after COVID. It's been such a key um, game changer in terms of our thinking and our and, and what we consider to matter um, at a general existential level. But then that has had a massive impact in terms of how people view their work. And I think it became very much about the experience of work. So all of those things that happened in the physical space around, you know, the distraction of coffee and lunches and perks, when you stripped all that away, all you had left was, do I like my job? <laughs> and do I like who I work for? And do I like who I work with? Um, and, and I think that suddenly became, a, it, it, there was sort of clarity there for a lot of people. And then you saw this massive great resignation as a result of that. Um, and it was essentially like somebody had lanced a boil um, at an organisational level. I think people just suddenly reflected themselves and they had time and space People walked more, you know, of course they drank more. And with all of those things come inspiration and moments of, you know, clarity. And um, I, I, and I think people themselves went, is this it? Is this really all there is? Like, if this is it, is this enough? Um, so I think it has had a fundamental change. I don't think it's going to go back. There's a lot of talk now about suddenly, you know, with, with, macroeconomic pressures, particularly we see in, in the US and North America, um, there's a sense that, oh, well, it's all going to go back the way it was. And I, I don't think the evidence actually tells us that. I think it is, it has had a fundamental um, changing um, impact on, on how we view things uh, and how we view work and where it all stacks up. Definitely. And I suppose, Liam, kind of similar question to yourself, that's very in line, I think, of what we're hearing from our own clients, but also from people on the podcast here, Liam, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And I think Ginny has, has summed it up really, really well, really succinctly on. And, and I had, when, when Ginny was talking, I had an image on my head of, of, of an Irish workforce almost on a giant treadmill before 
and we were racing there and we were spending 20 hours a week commuting and we were you know doing this and we were in a very pressurized uh hectic stressful way and i think you know covid has changed the landscape dramatically and fundamentally and i think permanently i would agree with with, with jenny in terms of the world of work and how we see work and you know jenny uh, has hit the nail on the head you know lots of the other fluffy bits were taken away and you, you know do I like my job? And I'd, I'd sort of say another thing. Do I want to continue doing my job? Do I want to be in this organization in 5, 10, 15 years' time? And I think the COVID sort of gave that window to people where they actually thought, you know, do I really want to be with this organization? Do I want to be with this manager? Do I want to be putting up with the internal conflict or whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that I'm currently putting up with? So I think it did sort of make people think really fundamentally um, about what they want from working life and the whole area of work-life balance and, and all of that. Um, so I think it's been a game changer. Um, I think, and we would have said this before on our various podcasts, on, we are dealing with a more anxious and uncertain workforce. Mental health issues are on, on the rise and there's more of a requirement on organizations to reach out and engage. And I suppose try and add some level of certainty in a very, very uncertain, fluctuating world. And that's that's a real challenge because there's no point in putting your arm around the shoulder of an employee and say, everything will be okay. Things will be exactly as they are now for the next 12 to 18 months because that's not necessarily the case and it's not fair to, to promise something we can't stand over. But I think all you can do is offer... I suppose some guidance in terms of where the organisation is going and what the world of within of work within that organisation is going to look like, and try and engage and help the employee along. But I think one one thing is for certain: Owen, there's more and more being demanded of HR people at a senior level and organisations at a senior level in terms of the world of work, what it's going to look like, and trying to adapt that to the reality of of today's life. And I would agree. Which any, I don't think things are going to ta- change. I think the expectations of newer people coming into employment have never been higher. And th- there's very much a kind of, you know, how do we engage with our existing workforce, maintain that balance, but also bring new, new people and new ideas and diversity into the, into the environment. And that's a, that's a balancing act in terms of meeting expectations as well. Definitely, yeah. So I suppose kind of delving a bit deeper into, I suppose, specifically into teamwork, Jenny, I suppose. And unless people, unless we have some listeners here listening to this podcast from Under a Rock, I'm sure they've all heard of or will have seen about the success of teamwork, um, or at very least be one of the 350,000 users of the technology. I think I saw on your website, Jenny. Um, so like, I suppose, specifically when we talk about teamwork and your own experience, how much has the organization kind of had to flex in recent years with things like remote working? And how, I suppose, has culture and performance um been affected by all that yeah no teamwork is um i suppose we've been around for 15 years and we essentially are an operating system for our for client services so we allow them you know our customers to deliver their work um in a an effective and uh, profitable manner um all on one platform so it's very much kind of a total solution and we've had many kind of i suppose uh, pivots since we formed in the 15 years. But one thing that's always been true for teamwork has been that value of flexibility. Um, and it's very much part of our DNA and our way of working. And I suppose it makes sense given that our product is there to provide the very same thing 
to our customers in terms of allowing them to work effectively from anywhere, um, but in a collaborative um, and and uh, kind of results driven manner. So it's very much been part of who we are. So even before COVID, we would have had people working remotely. Um, and today we would have um, people working in 20 plus locations uh, globally. Um, and But certainly COVID created an acceleration of that. So while we might have tinkered on the edges of it and said, you know, we have people who work remotely, suddenly we had everybody working remotely. Um, and I suppose we had the absolute advantage of being able to use our own product to facilitate our ability to maintain that level of, of performance and productivity. Um, and in fact, you know, we grew um, significantly last year um, in a year where we hired everybody remotely um, um, and we expanded our footprint into the US and we set up a hub out of Denver and uh, we have people out of New York, we have people you know, they're, they're in all the far-flung places that you can think of. That in itself provides challenge. You know, to Liam's point, suddenly the, the people teams were having to figure all this out really, really, really quickly. Um, and that was no less true for our own. Um, and culture is a big part of us. And Peter and Dan, who are the co-founders of Teamwork, very much see themselves as the stewards of our culture, the stewards of the mojo of Teamwork. And so we would have put a lot of focus into connecting with people. Um, we would have brought in different technology stacks um, to help support that, you know, not just from a communications perspective, but just also in terms of how we work. So even from a people team, when I joined, we invested a lot in our tech stack that allowed for our leaders to be able to access data asynchronously, to elevate our onboarding and offboarding process so that it could be done anywhere at any time. And indeed, we've brought in other particular platforms to help us from a performance management and communication and engagement perspective. So again, it, it drove a lot of change um, and it created a lot of agility in terms of the approach that we were taking. Um, and so suddenly I think you found HR people teams not, you know, we have a tendency, I think, and Liam will know this better than I, to have the perfect thing. You know, we'll, we'll just, we'll, it has to be produced organizationally. There has to be decks and protocols and SOPs and, SLAs and all sorts of things attached to it for it to be considered okay. And instead, suddenly we were, there was no playbook. That was the, the joy of it, COVID actually. This nonsense about best practice and having playbooks, they were gone. There was none. Everybody was making it up. Um, and everybody is still, to some degree, making it up. Some people just got a little, you know, nostalgic for playbooks. So they brought some back in, um, but they're still, they're still, iterative but it meant that we I suppose suddenly ended up pivoting MVP you know what was our min minimal viable thing that we could do here to address this um, and again we looked at everything in teamwork we we looked at our existing health provider uh, which is Leia who I have to say have been exceptional in terms of their support for us um, over the years we brought in a greater focus on well-being um, we created more visibility around that um, we already had an EAP, but we started to really think about how we could get the most value out of it, how it could be most effective for all of our people. Um, um, and again, we kind of reinforced the role of the manager as the connector of the business and of the people to the business. Um, um, and we, again, really emphasized the need for regular connection, one-to-ones. We had weekly connect calls. We have quarterly kickoffs. 
So again, really leveled up on our kind of approach to internal communications. And then last year we had our very first um, in-person um, staff event since 2019 Grand Council, which was in Cork, which was phenomenal and indeed recognises our best yet. There was such an appetite and energy in the room for people to be together um, and also to kind of get around the strategy. What are we here to do? How do we all do it? And that kind of, um, I suppose, yeah, that sort of that culture really came through. So, uh, yeah, so I think from a teamer perspective, we were very well placed in terms of being able to lean in and take the opportunity of COVID. Um, but it certainly did create, um, with that opportunity then comes tax, you know, so you have to deliver on the opportunity and figure out what the thing is that matters the most for the business. How do we actually ensure that we keep our eye on the end game, which is the performance um, of the business, but also connecting people individually to what to that vision and to the strategy and making them feel that they are creating an impact and they are they are part of something bigger as they sit in their kitchen or you know and we now have people obviously coming back into our different locations um uh, to, and, and so that's facilitated as well but again it's creating that connection for people is obviously obviously key and important to us Hundred percent, and I suppose it's fascinating. It we only realise how kind of multifaceted it is, really, Jenny. When we kind of speak and dig deep into, because obviously we hear about things like communication, flexibility, culture, where the kind of obvious things to work on when it first happened. But if I mean, we're hearing great stuff about onboarding, about leadership yeah. modelling, all that kind of stuff. So that really, I suppose, it really, it's really nice to see a, a full, full breadth of approach there, which is fantastic. It touch, it's touched everything. Like there's yeah. nothing. It's a complete three sixty. And if you didn't, then you weren't doing it as well as you should 100%. be, or you weren't going to get the impact that you would like. 100%. I suppose kind of, Liam, then alluding to something uh, Jenny mentioned there, so I suppose we've we've had a sense of what some of the, the HR challenges have been for teams uh, recently, Liam, from speaking to people, that kind of thing. As I said, culture, performance, big kind of foundational things. But I think one thing that Jenny mentioned there was it's, it's tough to get these things absolutely perfectly right, Liam. And I think a lot of it is about, I suppose, don't let perfection be the, the what's the phrase, don't let friction be the enemy of, of speed I've or something. Done. Yeah. I've done, I've yes, done. that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and I think that was an important factor for for HR teams to, to think about, Liam, wasn't it? I, I, absolutely, I couldn't agree more, on. And I think um, Jenny also highlighted a, a really key point, which is the role of the manager. And I think mm. that there's an awful lot of guidance in the area of culture and performance, but very often you're, you're depending on the manager, um, the manager of the team to support that team to ensure that everyone is bought in in terms of the objectives and goals of the team and the organization and that they're challenging poor performance and that they're calling it out. And in my experience, often that's where it possibly falls down on. Um, and equally, HR managers take on the role, but you know, there's an element that you know, HR has to understand we need buy-in from the managers. We need the managers to do their job. We need the managers to promote the culture, engage with staff, um, have difficult conversations at the right time, uh, manage poor performance. So I, I think there is a tendency, and we probably covered this in the previous um, podcast as well, on for HR to beat ourselves up slightly in terms of, you know, we don't all, we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. We, we, we can't be you know, a panacea to all the challenges that the organization has. Very often we're in a facilitation mode where we're saying, well, look, here's a suite of, uh, of tools for you to operate within uh, the business. 
uh, and choose those which you find best suit you. Um, so we're there as a, a as a support or a guide for very many um, organisations. But again, I would highlight what what Ginny has said is you know the manager is the conduit in terms of the performance, the culture, and that's very very important. And and in my experience, you will have you know um, managers who pre-COVID um, were managing face-to-face in a, in a close environment who were able to engage and build rapport and communicate and disseminate information and bring their team with them. And you some managers who weren't able to do that. And those challenges continued post-COVID and they're still out there. So I think yeah. what, what COVID has done is probably, you know, transparently highlighted some of the skills defect among managers uh, across organizations because you know, one of the key things that, that the COVID meant was we had to be agile, we had to be flexible, we had to be responsive. Um, and very, very many managers, I think, have struggled in that area. Um, so I think, you know, organizations um, like Ginny's are doing a huge amount of work and very, very positive work around building a better organizational culture and enhanced performance. But very often they're at the behest of, of the, the individual manager um, within the organizations. And I, th- I think sometimes organizations maybe, I won't say for, forget about the line manager, but they sort of sometimes maybe assume the manager is doing exactly what they, they are meant to be doing, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, so I think it's a, it's a watch point for those of us in, in HR um, to ensure that, that all managers have the, the skill set required for the incredibly difficult, challenging job that they have currently, um, and that if somebody isn't quite bought into the culture or what's required in terms of performance enhancement, that that's addressed. Because I, I, I think that's where very often organizations go, go wrong. And it was interesting to hear what Ginny said, that you know the manager is really the, the heart or the, the conduit within the organization. And I think that's so, um, so good to hear, to be honest. 100%. Um, and Jenny, look, a term that I've actually, I'll give full credit to you here, I didn't actually hear of it until mm-hmm. I saw some of the work you do, um, is organisational architecting. And thanks again, because that's actually a nice little vocal preparation exercise before coming on a podcast, pronouncing organisational <laughs> architecting correctly. Um, but look, before I even attempt to give it a kind of a, a quick guess at a, at a full definition from the, the limited knowledge I have of it, Jenny, um, can you talk to us a little bit about it? What is organisational architecting? Yeah, so I... I... I guess a lot of my work over the years has been around that. It's been around transformation and it's been around kind of, you know, the organization is is not a nebulous thing. We think of organization almost like a, a construct, an actual thing, but an organization is is just a collection of its people um, wrapped together by mission, value and strategy. Um, um, and effectively, I think the role of um, the people leader that you know that from a, from a, from my perspective, I would see my role as facilitating to Liam's point, you know, the build of that architecture and the build of that organisation. And like any, you know, if you think of you know room to improve, um, uh, we won't argue for pagola, but you know, it, essentially the role of architect is to come in with a sense of what you know gather gather the requirements, listen to the client, think about what's needed, understand some of the challenges that are there, understand the budget, so the constraints, and what is the desired outcome, so what success look like, and then bring all of that together with their own expertise and their own skills and experience and put together a plan that everybody can buy into 
and will understand the resourcing that's needed, understanding the timeline required and some and measures of success. Um, and I think that's essentially what my role is in any organization is to work with the organization to understand things that matter, understand um, some of the constraints that we have um, um, and understand, you know, and manage that expectation and align around that um, and to push, you know, the architect always pushes, right? They don't just take what they hear the first time. They challenge, they push back. You know, we talk a lot about the consultative, the trusted partner in a sales organization. And I think to some degree, the people leader, the people lead does that, that you know, the chief people officer, or head of people, their role is to consult in, to challenge, to go. But really, is that are we are we thinking about this in the right way? Is this really actually the problem that we have? Um, and is this indeed the, the the best thing we can do? Could we not do something different or more? Maybe we're not pushing ourselves enough. Maybe we need to push ourselves more. And who do we need to bring in? Who are our key stakeholders? How do we actually do this? So, and that's a challenge because not a lot of organizations just don't think about that role in that way. And so that's a piece of translation and work. And I would never claim to be in a role where I've actually do that fully the way anybody would like it to be done. But I think that's essentially what the role is, is to organizationally architect. We are here to bring it all together, bring what we know, bring our expertise around people, around organization, around change, around, you know, the new operating model for the world of work. What does that look like? And thinking about it from, as a business strategy not a people strategy. I think some too many times we talk about the people strategy as if it's, well, we'll get to that later, but actually it is a business conversation. It's just, we're using our people to deliver the business and without them, we wouldn't be in business at all. Representative, that's a huge topic that we're, we're delving into a bit more lately over the, the mm-hmm. next month or so, actually, is that whole strategic piece. And I suppose I do love those kind of terms. That's great to hear. So something, I suppose, kind of summarized so elegantly like that. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the sound of people collectively writing that down on their notepads now <laughs> all across the country. Um, yeah. So Liam, I suppose, as we, we heard there from Jenny, and I think it's very clear from not just what Jenny has said, but from a lot of the conversations we're having, HR is in a very well-placed position to make a big impact in, um, I suppose, in this, this year and, and going beyond that, Liam. And I think a lot of the things we're hearing about is that kind of skills piece as well, the importance of the business case, the communication, the positive leadership, behaviors, all that kind of stuff as well, Liam, isn't it? The skills piece is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with, with what Ginny has just said. And I suppose I have a few points in terms of what we ask ourselves on what does the business need from HR? Um, and I think Ginny covered it very well, what, what really matters and that we're there to, I suppose, challenge and engage, but also to, to influence. And, you know, we should be confident in terms of our business acumen, our people acumen, and be able to influence the business um, and meet the needs of, of what the business uh, requires. And also, how does the business see HR? And what does the business think of HR? And that, that was one of the things that we, we covered, I think, in our last podcast, but it's worth reinforcing. You know, we should be seeking opinion on how the business sees us and what they want from us and how well we're servicing the business. And I think sometimes we can be a, bit, a, a little bit shy around asking those questions. And we need to be open to, you know, receiving, you know, really positive feedback, but also constructive feedback in relation to, well, you know, I think HR is doing a really good job, but I'd like them to spend a little bit more time in this area or the business is going to 12 months time, 18 months time. How will 
our line managers or our organizational team have different skill sets to meet the demands of that particular model? And what's, what skills will I need to develop as a HR leader um, to meet the new requirements of the organization? And that's really, really difficult because I think, Owen, a lot of HR leaders don't actually think about themselves. They're, they're busy about thinking about, you, you know, the business and, you know, being frenetic in terms of meeting the needs of the business. But they also need to look internally in terms of, okay, well, for me to grow the resources within the, the HR team and grow the resources across the organization, um, you know, what changes will I need to make in terms of professional development and, and upskilling, et cetera? And I think sometimes HR people forget about that own um, and don't sort of, I won't say put themselves first, but they also need to think about themselves because at the end of the day, they're a very key part of, of servicing the business and the resources that are that are there to need meet the future needs of the organization. 100%. And I suppose the, the big final question then, Jenny, is if we didn't get enough advice and insights out of you already, we're going to ask you for just a little bit more. I suppose a lot of our listeners, Jenny, will be thinking about the impact they're going to make across the rest of the year and hopefully into the future and, and I suppose develop their role as well. So I suppose, final question really, any advice for HR leaders who are kind of facing into a year where they do hope to make that big impact um, by getting, I suppose, seen and heard at the top table? So there's two things. One is you have to reflect on are you in the organization that will actually allow you to do that or will care for you to be there? Because I think sometimes we spend a lot of time talking about this, but we end up just having these virtual bashing our heads against the wall. So make sure you're in the right organization to do that. Um, but also then reflect on your own role in, in getting there. And I think Liam called that out really well in terms of, you know, taking time to reflect we are there's a relentless nature of what we're doing over the last few years that has allowed us to sometimes become blindsided um and forget about that bigger piece and the ask of businesses for us to be more consultative to partner to reflect back i'm as guilty of that as any other people lead or at the moment it's finding that time is difficult having your the right team because you are only as good as the team that you have. So it's not just you individually getting a seat at the table, so to speak, but it's your team. So if your team is not aligned to the purpose of, of what the people team is there to do, which is to deliver for the business, it's not to roll out initiatives. It's not to do a whole lot of programs. It's not to go, well, I was at a conference. That's a great idea. Let's do it here. It's actually to map back from the organization to what we're doing so that if we want to have an impact, we need to know the thing that matters the most and focus and align around that. Uh, and that is a challenge. It's easier to say it than do it. But it is important to try and make sure we have the right team in place, that we have the right skills in place, that we have the right culture and norms in a HR team, that it is adaptable, it is agile and it is business centric. But it doesn't mean that you sacrifice the people because to be business centric is to really create the best people experience in your organization because that drives engagement that drives culture and performance and that allows the business to succeed um, um and it's one of the reasons i have a real challenge with the term business partner um i don't believe hr is a business partner i think hr partners in the business it is in the business it's not outside it's not orbital it's in the business it is a business role so it needs to think as a business role and think about, well, what does the business care about? Do I know about the mm. business? A lot mm. of HR people don't yeah. bother to find out about the business. They don't understand the business they're meant to be serving or supporting or enabling. 
Um, and I think they're the things that I would say, get those things right, reflect, take time to think, have somebody external to your organization who can help coach and mentor you and give you that kind of reflection back in. Um, I found that very valuable um, because we can, you know, we can we can drink the Kool-Aid a little bit mm. um, and we can get defensive and we can think, well, it's all, if only they were better as an organization and they got what we're trying to do. Um, you know, and there's truth on all sides, but ultimately it's, it's for us to shape, construct. If it's, if it's something that matters to us, if we're focused on making an impact, if we want to have that visibility and that recognition in the organization, we need to think about, A, what is the organization and what matters to it and how do I map what I'm doing to that? And then that creates the connection, that creates the value. 100% it's great to hear, I suppose, about that kind of reflection, introspection piece. So it's such an under undervalued and not spoken about kind of uh, factor which is huge and it's great to hear about I suppose from that kind of environmental perspective in a sense Jenny where like I suppose not many plants will survive in a dimly lit room with no water so having the right things around you obviously will help you, mm-hmm. help you go in your own so that's fantastic um, so look thank you Jenny uh, thank you Liam very insightful discussion really enjoyed that um, and hopefully people got a lot of good value out of that I know I know I did um, so hopefully you all did too uh, thank you to everyone for listening we'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast so don't forget to to click subscribe if you haven't already and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.